does fundraising make you cringe? Is it something that you put off on the side of your desk and get to when you have time? Because, you know, you never have time. You may be a reluctant fundraiser. And if you are, stay tuned because we're going to talk to Cindy Wagman today about rewriting or rewiring that mindset that keeps you procrastinating on fundraising and turn into not a reluctant fundraiser, but somebody who actually gets the funding for your organization to serve your mission and purpose and do the work you are meant to do. Cindy Wegman is the president and founder of The Good Partnership, a values-driven, social justice-informed consultancy that is working to unlock the potential of small nonprofits through fundraising. She's a certified fundraiser, and you're going to hear how not only does she use that sort of fundraising expertise, but the training she's taken over the years around neuroscience and how we can rewire our brains to help us go from that icky, uh, reluctant fundraiser to somebody who actually finds fundraising maybe even an enjoyable part or a more meaningful part of the work we do. Let's transition into the show. Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Welcome to the podcast, Cindy. I'm super excited to talk about mindsets because I talk about mindsets all the time, but you have a different lens and a different focus as we talk about mindsets today. But before we get into that, let's you know hear about you and your journey and how you got to where you are. Yeah, well, thanks, Kathy. And I'm so excited to be talking to you because I know we share that approach of um, coaching and leadership. And I so admire what you're doing. Uh, so yeah, who am I? How did I get here? Uh, I basically, so I think I'm one of the very few people, most, most people in the nonprofit sector would meet who actually made a decision to become a fundraiser. Like that was an active choice I made while I was in university. This was before the big fundraising education programs really existed, or maybe they were in their infancy, but I didn't know that you could be a fundraiser professionally until one summer while I was in university, I met two fundraisers and I thought, that's it. It marries all my passion for the sector uh, with things that I already liked doing. I, I've, I was sort of volunteer fundraiser in university, raising money for local organizations. So yeah, I, I made the decision and it was a very conscious one. I wrote a thesis on feminist fundraising. Some, some people are raising one eyebrow now going, really? <laughs> yeah. So I've always had a passion for this work and it's, you know, over the past 20 years that I've been doing it, it, I can see that most people don't, and especially the people who haven't pursued fundraising as a career. Um, you know, there's so much reluctance around fundraising and discomfort. And I see this as one of those things that we have to get right and has to feel good if we're going to really achieve our missions. And so now I'm on a mission to help reluctant fundraisers change the way they feel about fundraising. Okay. We're going to talk about reluctant fundraisers in a moment, but tell me how the whole mindset, like, where did you start thinking, oh, mindset matters? Mm -hmm. 
So it's a combination. One thing that I've always been aware of is in my career, I've never felt that I couldn't. I mean, I've had moments where I was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? But I always felt like if I put in the work, I could achieve my goals. And I started to, and then I couldn't figure out like, what was, what was the secret to why I I was successful in fundraising? You know, I'm reading the same books as everyone else. I'm learning the same things, but you know, some other organization or person next to me wasn't doing the things and I was. And so as I actually started my business, uh, the good partnership and consulting, I started to learn a lot more about what entrepreneurs are doing and their mindsets. And that's when I started to discover the science behind our behaviors. And really it clicked for me, like, wait a second, there's a, my, these are the way my brain is wired is towards taking action, which leads to success. And there are a lot of people who have beliefs and feelings and these shortcuts in our brains that really prevent them from raising money. And, and so this sort of just, I I happened upon a couple people in this field and then started to get hooked on it because I really feel like there's, and I, and I think the reason why I love this podcast and, and what you're doing is because I think you tap into that and we know a lot of coaches do this work. Um, but for some reason, we've never applied that lens to fundraising. So the science. So I think partly where people have veered away from this in the past is it's woo woo. Like, oh, you just want me to, you know, like think positive, like that doesn't work. Right. But science shows that it does work and mm-hmm. like tons of science. So, so there's lots there. Come back to, cause we're going to dive into the neuroscience. So reluctant fundraisers, what, this is a term you, you're writing a book. Uh, tell us about reluctant fundraisers. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't claim to have coined the term, but I haven't heard it used very often. So who yes. knows, but uh Really, this is these are all the people I see in my work who are executive directors or board members or programming staff, people who in most small organizations especially are responsible for fundraising. But really, if given the choice, they would choose anything but. And the example I give is like, you know, if I put a salad and an ice cream in front of me, I can't speak for you. If I had the choice, I'm picking ice cream. (laughs) It's the same thing. I know a salad is good. I know it's better for my body and my mind and all of the things, but I love ice cream. And that's what happens with fundraising. If in reluctant fundraisers, they're always going to pick the choice, which is usually not fundraising of the thing that feels better for them in the moment. So you focus on small nonprofits, which means many of the leaders are doing some fundraising off the side of their desk. So we were talking a minute ago about decision-making, right? Like you have to decide. I think we, we don't often realize that our experience as leaders is based on the decisions we make or don't make. And a lot of those decisions, like you say, are, I'll work on that later. I'll figure it out tomorrow. I'll do it down the road and I'll focus on, well, checking my email for the 
third time today because <laughs> that's what we do. Mm-hmm. But that task keeps getting pushed aside and you have a strategy for changing that. Is that, mm-hmm. is that the plan? That's the plan. And I mean, the funny thing about those decisions is most of the time we're not even aware we're making a decision. Yes, exactly. And so we don't think that we're doing this. This just becomes our reality. And, and usually it's the excuse, well, I'm really busy. And when you start to unpack those excuses, you can start to see what's behind them, which is, I mean, I choose how I, how I spend most of my day. Of course, we don't yeah. all choose how we spend most of our time, but for the most part, we make decisions like, but we're not aware. And so we have to start to understand and build awareness of what's going on with these unconscious decisions that we're making so that we can change them. And the way I describe these unconscious decisions, it's like autopilot, right? So what happens and we're, we can start to get into some of the science behind it, but our brains have these little neural networks and pathways and, um, the, our brains are designed to make decisions quickly and easily. We make tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of decisions every day. And that's too much for us to handle. Even if you think about it, at the end of the day, decision fatigue, I know sometimes with my partner, I'm like, I don't care what we have for dinner. Just put something in front of me. <laughs> and so that's what happens when we make too many decisions. So our brain is designed to make them more easily and with less effort. And it does this by creating these shortcuts, which are formed through repetition. So the first time we experience something, you know, we, we don't have a shortcut for that. And so we're really hyper aware of all these things and we make it more, um, specific decision, but over time, it just becomes like our way of being our autopilot. I think of it like when we, when we first learned to drive, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, like rear view mirror, side mirror, left mirror, forward rear view. Like we were thinking, we, I got to do this shoulder check. Right. And those thoughts were in our head, like really crazy. And then, yeah, we get to that point where we're like, we don't even think we hop in the vehicle and we drive, which is why mistakes are made. But I digress. <laughs> exactly. Well, I actually use the example in the book of driving to work. And the first time you you go, you know, you're using your GPS or like back in the day it was MapQuest. Uh, yep. uh, <laughs> and you're really aware. And then by the time you're on the job for a month or two months, you can, you know, tune out on that drive. You're listening to music or podcast. But then what happens has happened more than once to me is I'll be going somewhere close to work. So let's say I used to work near the airport um, and I'd be going to the airport and I would end up at the office (laughs) because you're on autopilot or someone else has explained, you know, you, your job is to pick up milk on the way home from, from work. And you totally just end up in your driveway, not stopped at all. Exactly. And that's what happens. That's exactly what it's, what it's like. But we don't, again, like we don't think of anything of it. We're not yeah. aware that this is happening. Yeah. So you want to rewrite that, those pathways in your head so that we're consciously making those decisions about fundraising, right? Exactly. And in a more health, like we have a very unhealthy relationship with fundraising for the most part. And so, um, I want to, I want organizations to be successful. And then really in order to do that, the other example I give is, um, 
you know, so much fundraising education is really focused on tactics. It's the how to's and we're closed off to that. If we don't address the mindset, it's like trying to teach someone an advanced law class. If they have no interest in becoming a lawyer, Mm -hmm. it's like, you can't teach fundraising. If someone has no intention of actually doing the work because it just makes them feel awful. Yeah. And so you'll probably get into this in a minute, but, but I often think, um, it's the thoughts like, this is hard. They don't like me. This feels wrong. And so you're trying to teach them, just send out this email and make them talk, you know, make this appointment. And they're like, I don't like this. It feels icky. Yeah. I mean, and basically that's exactly it. So what we want people to do is understand and just take a step back and say, okay, what's happening, what's going on. And those, um, those shortcuts in our brain are usually, as I said, developed over time and habit, but they're grounded in our beliefs and feelings, right? We have an emotional connection to them. And so we have to start to shift that and we have to, so there's sort of three, the first thing is you have to be aware in their narratives, right? These are narratives that are happening in our brains and very often in society. So for example, um, one thing that came up, uh, in a conversation, I think yesterday was, um, I've worked in a lot of organizations where we think we have to sell things to fundraise and that's based on a belief that inherently people don't want to give to us. So we have to make it a transaction where we think they're getting something in return. And that belief comes from selling girl guide cookies. (laughs) No shade to girl guides, but (laughs) I mean, (laughs) or chocolate almonds. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, very often it comes from things that we see more broadly or we experience over and over again. Um, But there's also so much behind that as well in terms of the value of our work. I mean, I've been in Facebook forums with nonprofit folks and people will say, you know, how much should an executive director get paid? And a lot of people are saying nothing. We shouldn't be paid for this work. Right. Which is ludicrous, but that these are feelings and beliefs that exist in society around the value of the work that we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I, I actually imagine that most people listening, maybe it's not, um, paid nothing, but I think we can all relate to the feeling of being underpaid overwork. Uh, there's definitely like a martyr, uh, type feeling in our sector that we're doing, we're, you know, sacrificing to be able to do this work. Well, if we feel like we're not worthy or valued, then we can't imagine that donors see that value that we can't even see sometimes. So the first step is awareness. And I just want to highlight because my listeners have heard me preach this over and over and over again, because it's in my book, Mastering Confidence. So the cycle that I teach is called pause, ponder, pivot, proceed. And pause is like, it it helps you access those inner thoughts. And we have to pause. And you said it a minute ago, we are go, go, go. We are busy as there's lots going on. And that's, that's the first thing you hear out of any leader's mouth is I'm so busy. Well, stop being busy and pause. Like, so pause is the first step. Then I say ponder, which is probably what you're going to get into. You got to think things. Pivot is changing your perspective. 
and then proceed as having the courage to do whatever it is you need to do, right? So listeners, Cindy is telling you to pause. We have to pause. Yeah, I love that framework. And it very much is aligned with, uh, although much more eloquent than I think we, <laughs> we right? Um, yeah, so the first thing is to pause and bring awareness. And we do talk about... Y- this sort of sequence that happens or, you know, when you're triggered with a circumstance that usually um, activates your beliefs and feelings, which means that you're taking certain actions or not taking actions, which of course affects your results. And so, um, but we have to start to bring awareness to those circumstances that create that chain of reactions. So yes, pause absolutely is the first step and start to actually reflect, not just on like what's happening, but start to uncover your feelings and beliefs, because that's the emotional connection we have. And Unless we replace that emotion, like we have to replace that emotional uh, connection to something else because we only change when we care about changing. Absolutely. I, I, I preach values as well. You have to understand what the underlying values are. Like if you don't, and, and a lot of that has to do with the way we were raised, the values we were raised as kids. Um, but the other thing I think there is it's figuring out where that trigger is, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it's, oh, I'm not worthy, or the trigger is, you know, oh, they're wearing these clothes and that means X, Y, Z, whatever. There's a trigger there. Exactly. Exactly. And you mentioned our values. And I think very much um, we are taught that fundraising goes against a lot of our values because of some of those mental models that we have around who gives money. You know, I've literally sat around uh, tables with volunteers and board members and said, okay, can you think of anyone who you think might give to our organization? And everyone says no. But what's happening is that they're think their mental model is, do I know anyone who can cut us a check for $10,000? Right. And that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, do you know anyone who can give $50 or a hundred dollars or even $5, but who, who do you know who cares about our work? And so we have these existing models that align again, like they don't align to our values. And so we don't do them. And part of the book and, and part of what I really because I my background is in uh, social justice organizations. Right. That is where that's what I live and breathe. And there's a whole value set around money and power that we have to start to rewrite mm-hmm. and understand that fundraising is not necessarily giving up power and it can be very empowering if you do it in a very different way. So the value piece I think is really important. Yeah. Well, and I just heard two questions that you asked. Um, One is who can, who will give money? The other is who supports our organization and two very powerful questions. And if I hear who supports our organization, I probably am going to go this person, that person, this person, this, and then you can say, and how might they support Mm -hmm. our organization? Right. And so you're shifting as I, that's the, the third P pause, ponder, pivot. You're shifting your perspective, right? You're starting to go, Oh, it's not about money. It's about value. It's about support. It's about how do I give who cares about this mission as much as I care about it. Mm-hmm. And I think um, one of the big things 
is then we can start to build a fundraising plan. Then we can start to figure out our fundraising strategy based on that information. Instead of what I see happening a lot is looking at the big organizations and trying to copy what they do. Yeah, which again reinforces that this doesn't align with our values because we're trying to host a big gala event that you know maybe is really expensive per plate cost, yeah. and that doesn't fit with our community and our values, and so it doesn't feel good. But there yeah. are absolutely really powerful ways to have fundraising that aligns with your values, and if you can start with those questions, then you're going to find a fundraising strategy that actually works and feels good for your organization. So walk us through the steps again. Yeah. So Paul, I'm going to use your steps because I like it so much. (laughs) And it is, I mean, so the sequence, uh, I'll give you a couple, like within, within these, uh, I'll sort of tie mine in to yours. Cause I just, it's so eloquent. So yes, the pause and bring awareness. Um, and then for ponder, there's actually, uh, a lot of interesting science, uh, as well around how our, how we can change those neural pathways in our brain just by thinking things. It's pretty it's crazy. crazy. I, you and I could probably geek out on this in a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the first thing is to think about and really visualize the alternate reality, really start to train your brain to be present in this new universe or new you that is a successful fundraiser and raising money in a way that that feels good and rewriting that sequence that we talked about. And so that comes about, so one is to visualize it. Um, well, actually I usually say like refute and visualize. So you have to usually write down what those thoughts and beliefs are. And, you know, generally we can actually find evidence around why we're wrong. And if you struggle with that, you can ask, pretend you're talking to your best friend or your, you know, a colleague that you admire. Sometimes we're really bad at giving ourselves advice, but we're really good to other people. So start to actually look for evidence, real evidence to say, is this truth or is this a belief? And then we can start to replace that belief the first part is just visualizing and thinking and training our brain uh, without being in the actual situation. But then we we can start to build habits. And that's really the next um, the next piece is to say, okay, what do I need to do to re- rewire those shortcuts? And so I would say that's your pivot. Um, and and actually, practicing a few things and they don't have to be big. It doesn't mean you're going to go ask, sit in front of a donor and ask for a big donation. Mm -hmm. The two habits that I love, and I think absolutely everyone needs to do one is meet with your donors, just listen to them. And I include a whole guide around how to do that in the book. Yeah. Just get to know your donors. And then the second one is stewardship, which is thanking people saying, you know, expressing gratitude, um, and engaging them in the work that you're doing. And if you can do those two things a little bit every day, you're going to completely rewire those shortcuts. It's about being human. Like we're, we're not asking for money. We're talking to another person. Yeah. And we forget that. And again, the like weird power dynamics, but if you, 
in, if you connect with your donors, a few things happen. Lots of really great things happen, but I'll try to touch on a few of them. One is you start to see the commonalities mm. that you have the connections, the things that you share, because very often we have this othering experience with fundraising where the haves versus the have nots. Now, part of it is starting to ask everyone who cares, not just about whether or not they have a lot of money in quotes. But then the other thing is, even if you have a donor who you feel like you might not relate to that well, the more you get to know them, you might find that in fact, they could be your biggest champion and most aligned with your organization's mission and values. Yeah. yeah. So we start to connect and understand them. It also means that we start to understand more about the people who do care about our work so that we can come up with a fundraising strategy that aligns with our strengths Mm -hmm. and helps us move forward from where we are. We start to understand who we're communicating with because organizations do a terrible job of communicating with our donors uh, because we don't know who we're talking to. And we make a lot of assumptions about what they think and feel because we're so uncomfortable even having these conversations. Um, So there's lots of benefits to those meetings. And then same thing with, with stewardship. Like there's so much value you get in hearing from your donors about why they feel good when they give to you. Yeah. I want to back it up for a minute and I want you to try and make sense of this because I think it's the underlying values. So you and I are both in business. We have to figure out who we're selling to, who we're marketing to, and they call it your customer avatar, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're looking at what are their interests and their likes. I bet I could look at all of my clients and all of my students in my membership site. And I bet 80% of them are dog people. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And, and so that has nothing to do with the work I do, but often it's a conversation I'm having. How's your dog? Oh my God. You have a dog named Zeus. I have a dog named Zeus. And what kind of dog do you have? Oh my God. You got to run to the door and let them out all the time. Other people are cat people. And, and so you know, you just kind of, these are just different little things. Mm -hmm. But when you get to know somebody on that level, there are, and and I can't name them off the top of my head, but there are values associated with being a dog owner. Mm, Yeah. I mean, part of that as well, I think that's interesting as I'm listening to you say that is the authenticity Yeah. because very often, and I will say like, same thing. I know, okay. I am a dog lover. I have a dog, but, um, I don't talk about the dog quite as much, but what I do talk a lot about is our commitment to social justice and change. And so when I look at our clients, they're all organizations that have that commitment and we're very explicit. And so often in fundraising, people think they have to hide their values. They have to, um, tone it down Uh, because it might offend people, but I would say the opposite, play it up. You are going to find your people. The more you wave that flag and say, this is what we stand for. uh, And we're not afraid of that. And we're not ashamed of that. And so again, this is one of those mindset things that comes up over and over as we're taught and we hear, or we believe we're hearing over and over again, that, you know, we can't, I worked in or that we can't be ourselves. I've worked in organizations where I've been told that certain staff members should not be part of donor meetings because they're not polished enough, which I think is BS. If your donors 
can't connect with your staff, they should not be your donors. But I think that leaning into the authenticity and what you stand for, I mean, yes, some people might not be your donors. I know for myself, I've turned down work, money. It's hard, but we do it because at the end of the day, we're nothing if we don't have our values. Yes. Yes. And the more we hide our values, squish our values, put them aside, the ickier we feel. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to feel good and happy and content and confident in the work you're doing, be authentic. Exactly. Exactly. And you will draw the people to you who are meant to be drawn to you and and who who believe. I mean, part of fundraising feels like we're selling our soul because it feels like we're yeah trying to contort our mission into something that's appealing to other people. And I just, I don't believe that I've never met. There are certainly organizations and and missions that I personally don't get excited about, Mm. but it doesn't mean that other people won't. So that's right. Have we missed any points? I mean, we talked about pause. We talked about ponder, (laughs) pivot. I mean, proceed. Let's talk a little bit about proceed because I do think that that is so important because here's the thing. While we're talking about neuroscience, it's certainly not rocket science. And what I mean is the advice I give over and over again to people is actually really simple. Mm -hmm. Send an email to a donor and ask for a conversation is not complicated, but it and takes courage. Yes, it's still hard, and yeah. it's hard because change is hard. And one of we didn't talk about the patterns to these pathways our brains mm-hmm. make, but there are. And one of the patterns is that we like the status quo. We do yes. not like change. Yes, and so it's crazy. Like it is. We like things to stay the same, even if there's very little cost to change. And even if the benefits are to change are very high. Yes. We take the pattern of least resistance. Exactly. Even if the other option is so much better. So I definitely think that that, that, um, proceed piece is really important because we have to build habits and we have to be consistent and also gracious with ourselves, you know, we know that habits don't, um, that, that we always fall off, right? It takes yeah, time yeah. to establish habits. A lot of people say 21 days. It's actually quite a bit more than that. Yeah, it's like uh, a <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and you're not, you're not going to be doing all the perfect things all the time, but there's no such thing as perfect. We move forward imperfectively. It's the act of moving forward that's important and forgiving yourself and and continuing to move forward. So I do think that that point is so critical because again, like sometimes it's easy to listen to this or read the book and think, well, it sounds so simple, but I'm not doing it. So what's wrong with me? And that's absolutely not true. This is the way our brains are designed. So I want to go back to the part that you said about envision. Uh, I, I, I really use analogies and, and, and um, visceral sort of body reactions of people. So often what I'll say to them is, yeah, you're trekking down this path. Like, oh my God, this is hard. This is difficult. It's like, back up in your brain and then go down this path. Right. And so you have to visual your, visualize yourself doing the easy thing 
and backing up and changing the thought pattern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that because you actually, the best way to visualize is to engage your senses, yeah. right? It's so, so one of the things that I practice and uh, I encourage other people to practice is, is some form of journal journaling where yes. you actually write about the future as if it's happened yes, and you all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it's important not just to talk about like the surface things, but like, how do I feel? How does my body feel? What do I smell? Yeah. What do I taste? Um, when we start to visualize, we want it to feel true. And the way we experience the world is through our senses. Yes. So, and, and analogies give us that opportunity as well to really physically think about things in a different way. Yeah. I just want to highlight for the people who are in my membership site, the, uh, the course on willpower essentials gives a whole lesson from Gabrielle Odigen on whoop, which is her method for yes, going forward and then coming back and overcoming those inner obstacles Mm. because it's the inner obstacles that get in the way of that, that vision. So you vision all of that. But then, yeah, you've got to come back and go, okay, now what? That's great. Mm-hmm. I'm there. But how do I get through these inner ops? Not the outer obstacles. I'm, time, I, you know, I, they're not returning emails. Those are outer obstacles. It's the inner obstacles that we have to then envision ourselves getting through. Exactly. And, and practice that envisioning. It's not a one-time activity. Oh. Over and over and over again. And then, uh, you know, as you visualize and it's almost like you become present as that person. And so go about your behaviors in the day with being that That new person. Yeah. 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 And so how would that person be in this situation? What would you do? How would you behave? Um, It really sets you up for, uh, for starting to change those behaviors that we take. Well, I think we have tons of strategies and I know there are more in your book coming out. I want to know when your book is coming out and where can people find you? Mm-hmm. So the book is available for pre-order now mm-hmm. uh, in print. You can find it on October 19th, but I highly encourage you to pre-order because there are great bonuses. You can find it at raiseitbook.com. And if you use the code LEAD, L-E-A-D, you can get 10% off as a special gift to your listeners. And of course, yay, people can find me, thegoodpartnership.com. I also have a podcast, The Small Nonprofit. um, And I love talking about these things. So come in and join the dialogue with me. Awesome. And where's the best place for them to find you on social media? Where do you hang out most? Oh, Instagram, I think. (laughs) I. Uh, I'd say I'm most active on Instagram, but I am not like the best on social media. I'm definitely not great on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'm on all of them, but (laughs) I'll put all of me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. DM me if you want to engage meaningfully, (laughs) because I will say, uh, it's just not one of the things that I've prioritized with my time. Yeah, totally makes sense. Thank you so much for the change of mindset that we've all got, I think, from today to see things differently, not only in how we fundraise, I think, but just in how we lead in general. And uh, yeah, I look forward to your book coming out. And I hope that listeners head over and listen to your podcast and uh, grab that, that early bird download so that they can grab that. Thank you very much, Cindy. 
Thank you. And thanks to all of your listeners, because I know that this work is very underappreciated and undervalued and uh, you're all amazing. So thanks. If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the training library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome. Awesome.